listening to the Mobcast Network. There's a podcast network. It is a network not only of sports and culture, but of anything you can fathom. And it lies between man's desire to imagine and his want for laughter. It is a network which we call the Mopcast Network. For the past year, the Mopcast Network has been bringing you weekly podcasts for all the commentary on movies, music, sports, recent events, and more. The Mopcast Network. Celebrate fandom. And roll sound. Sound speeds. And marker. Action. Welcome to Between the Line, the filmmaking podcast that navigates the line between the professional and fandom, the writer and the actor, success and for your host, Drew Hall and Horst Sarubin. I was I'm still thrown off by this. I'm so used to it being you saying it, but we went back to that whole double horse. Yeah, the uh, I'm your host. Yeah, 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 yeah so it just didn't work. Yeah, we played that joke. Let's not a recall. It. It's not a callback. That's okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so today's show is pretty fun. It's, it's mostly centered on writing um, from a dear friend, a friend of the show, as we say, family member. You'll hear me refer to her as that. But uh, her name's Britt Logan. She's an accomplished screenwriter. Uh, she's got a couple projects option, one going in production soon. Um, but she has a very fascinating story of kind of how she got there with having one dream set up and the universe, if you want to go that way or however you want to interpret it, but things kind of navigated her in in another direction and now she's kind of working primarily as a writer which yeah which is great i mean that that also you know is that thing any job anything that you do being open keeping your eyes open to the opportunities that come you know um and it's one of those one of those through lines that we're hearing as we talk to our friends in this industry is making sure you're ready for when those opportunities come you know keep absolutely self-trained and everything now before we get into it well, there's another thing we learned about yeah. that we, we should discuss. One of the great parts of this, this, this scenario is that you and I do really well amped up on coffee. It, it's true. And what, uh, what better coffee to get amped up on? Than Fosco brand coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we want to seriously thank our, uh, our sponsor, Fosco, who uh, is literally you know, helping us um, record this whole thing you know basically yeah, they, they giving us a roof the, over our head yeah puts a roof over our head they've they've helped us with the equipment and the other bits and so you know we want to give a shout out if you want to check them out if you're ever in uh north florida <laughs> north west florida if you're ever in that area and you have a chance to go by a fosco coffee bar um it's a really cool place and uh you know it, it just it's tasty it's just tasty coffee it is good keeps We're... us amped up so we just give a shameless plug and, you know, we're talking about writers. I know, um, you know, writing in a coffee shop is a common theme. And if you're going to write in a coffee shop, why not, you know, support local private business instead Absolutely. of going for one of the big, you know. Yeah, I big... mean, you have your your uh, coffee shop here in town you like. And if it was a Fosco, I'd be there. Yeah. It's, you know, a little bit far to drive. Yeah. It's uh, 45 to, to an hour from where we currently are. So without further ado, I guess we'll jump in. Here is our interview with the always delightful Britt Logan who's also a very accomplished cook. So, as promised, here we are with Britt Logan. Uh, she is family for me, but, you know, she she's part of my film family. Well, she fed me last time I was in L.A., so she's family, too. So, uh, and yeah. it, was, it was amazing. It was such a good meal. Amazing. It's, it was a pot roast that just floored me. Not, not to say that that's what all people do, but yeah. she fed us, and so we're going to be grateful for yeah. it. So, anyway, Britt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. And I... Oh, I- it's- Gladly, um, you know, entertain you guys with more food in the future. So uh, if, if, if that's what it takes to get to the, the core of you guys, I will be cooking. <laughs> so when, uh, when is the next flight uh, to uh, L.A.? On... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and suddenly we're sleeping on the floor and that's fine. Look, I can change diapers. I got the skills. Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. So let's, we kind of like to go with an overview and jump in and, and just talk about the, the broad stroke. And then I like to kind of narrow things down as we go through, if that's okay. That's just kind of our approach to the process. So kind of going back to who you are. So where did you come from and, and, and how did you end up on this podcast? Well, um, hmm. uh, well, originally I'm from Miami, Florida, um, born and raised, grew up there my entire life. And I, um, you know, I always knew I wanted to be in the entertainment industry from the age of seven. I I took an acting class, 
um, because my mom was working full time and basically needed something for me to do on the weekends. And uh, I uh, took an acting workshop and got super involved with community theater and just it took over my life. And I was acting, singing and dancing from the time I was seven and always wanted to be an actress. That was just the goal. And um, I, you know, grew up doing plays, musicals. I was the, the, I mean, in my high school, I was voted most likely to be on the red carpet. No big deal. Whatever. Um, that was my superlative. Uh, so awesome. That's but, so awesome. Uh, um, so, but I knew that like LA or New York was kind of where I was headed. And um, I always thought the dream was going to be Broadway. But when I was 16, I flew out to New York to audition for Hairspray. Um, and I stood in a line for eight hours, wrapped around the block twice, only to walk in, open my mouth and sing what was probably maybe two bars of a song. And they just cut me off and said, thank you. And, and that was it. And now Seriously? in hindsight, I can look back at it and realize I was way too young for the show. Um, you know, even though I was 16, people on Broadway that are playing 16 are actually probably 30. Um, no, totally. But that's like a crazy sort of like that's got to be I'm not slamming anybody, but that seems almost more brutal than like a casting scenario. Oh, yeah. No, Broadway's brutal. Absolutely. Wow. And and and, and I was seeing talent after time. I mean, everybody in line was singing and like so many amazing talented people just getting turned down, turned down right away. So at 16, I kind of had this aha moment where I realized, um, you know, Broadway is a much harder road and, and there's only so many theaters and so many shows and everybody's trying to get to that one destination. And so I decided to kind of my mom made a deal with me. She would let me go out on professional auditions once I got my braces off because I was like pestering her for years. <laughs> That's fantastic. So my mom like did not want me to be a child actress, but the braces were like the deal. And so I got my braces off when I was 16, got headshots, got an agent in Miami, and I went out on castings. And, um, you know, I actually entered this talent competition called Best New Talent in Los Angeles. And I went out there and I actually got an agent and um, people that were interested in me when I was 16 to come out there for pilot season. So instead of New York, it ended up being L.A. And I took three months off of high school, flew out to Los Angeles, lived in a Ramada Inn with my mom um, for three months and did the whole pilot season thing. And that alone was quite an experience. And then... Um, realized that you can only do so much in a couple months that you really just have to live there. You have to live in LA. So I knew um, my senior year when I was applying for colleges, I didn't even bother applying anywhere else. I applied only to LA schools and um, I applied to only drama conservatories because I, I knew that that was kind of the path that I wanted to go. And um, so I got into the American Academy of Dramatic Arts um, in Los Angeles, which is a, uh, you know, a drama conservatory has a lot of prestigious alumni and it's a pretty, it's almost like a trade school, you know, it's two years and, and it's straight to the point, no math, no science, no, uh, you know, no prestige. It's just, let's get down to business, um, nonstop acting, singing, dancing, classical theater, you know, you name it, any aspect of the industry. And I did that for two years um, it was an amazing experience. Um, all the while, while I was in school, I was taking classes at the Groundlings and at Leslie Kahn, and I was auditioning. And, um, you know, what kept happening to me was I would go on these auditions, and it would be between me and another girl, me and another girl, or I wouldn't get the part because I was, I wasn't Asian, or I wouldn't get the part because I wasn't, you know, tall, or I wouldn't get the part because of this. I wouldn't get the part because of that. And it just kept being between me and another girl, me and another girl. And I was getting so frustrated because I had this amazing almost resume, which, you know, you can't put an almost resume, you know, you can't write almost booked the part in this movie, <laughs> you know, almost played the opposite Jeremy. Sister. That's my new favorite quote, by the way. 
I've almost directed Star Wars. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, like your all my almost resume is like, I mean, um, incredible. You'd be impressed. But you know, all people see is what's on paper. What have you booked? What's your real? And so I just found myself feeling kind of diminished of like all my years and years of training and all this stuff wasn't amounting to my my resume. And I was just this piece of paper. Um, you know, I was a headshot. And so, you know, I had always loved to write when I was in high school and I've always been good at it. And I always, from a young age, was writing plays and just, I was a really creative kid. I was an only child. So I had nothing better to do than be, you know, creative. And this was pre uh, social media. So I actually had to use my brain. Um, And so uh, my mom was like, well, Brittany, you know, you should write. Uh, You've always had all these ideas for screenplays, you should write a screenplay. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And my mom was like, Brittany, you should write. And, and I was kind of like loosely entertaining the idea until my mom actually wrote a screenplay. And I was like, what? My mom wrote a screenplay. And, and so, and, and I was like, well, if my mom can write a screenplay, I can write a screenplay. And so (laughs) my mom met this screenwriting teacher in LA and she gave me his number and she's like, you should call him. So finally I was like, I think I had just been up for a huge, huge role on a, I had just tested for a big TV show. And again, I, I was almost booked, but I didn't get it. And I was so frustrated. I was like, you know what, forget this. I'm going to write my screenplay. So I signed up for this class. Um, and it wasn't really like a, it's not like a, a class where I was taught how to write a screenplay. It was more like a right group where I just had to bring in pages and every week we did a table read of your material and you just kind of had to figure it out. And so that's what I did. I, um, I took the first, uh, three pages of when Harry met Sally and I copied it word for word in final draft to teach myself how to use final draft, um, uh, just so I could understand format. And then I just won it and I, I, started writing my first screenplay. Um, and oddly people were really responding to my material and I was always getting great feedback from the class and from my teacher and, and, you know, and my goal for this screenplay initially was it was going to be my Rocky, you know, quote unquote, like I was going to star in it and I was just going to write one movie and then I could just be an actress. Cause that was the goal. And yeah, but that's clever. I get it. It's a clever move. Yeah, I mean... I mean, it worked for Sylvester Stallone. It's worked in the past, so I thought, okay, perfect. I'm just going to write myself. At the time, the movie was called Diary of a Jap. It's since changed to... um, Now it's called Don't F My Boyfriend. Um, But at the time, that was the goal. And what ended up happening was I ended up getting representation for lit. and, And I got lit representation. And then they were like, okay, well, what else do you have? And then I realized, oh, oh, wow. Okay, I guess I have to keep writing. Um, all right, well, I guess I'll write something else. And so then I wrote another screenplay. And and the process of writing, you know, you think like, oh, I'm just going to write a screenplay and it's going to get made. And then you realize how many drafts and how much development goes into it. And I was, I was, I'm impatient. Like, I mean, I have a lot of patience, but I also don't like my future being in everybody else's hands. So I, while these rewrites and while everybody was taking forever to read certain drafts, I'd start writing something else. And so long story short, um, you know, now it's been what I started writing when I was 21, now I'm 29. It's been eight years and I have six screenplays and two TV series written and three of them are currently optioned and one is actually about to go into production in February. So that's fantastic. Like that's, you can't, I mean, that's perfect. Yeah. So that I guess is my, 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 my story thus far. Well, there's lots of little bits to pluck from that, that I have questions about just because there's, there's so many interesting sides of it from my perspective, just as a writer, you know, I mean, I can, I can go from, you know, the journey that I've been on just comparatively and, and obviously having lit that quickly, getting repped that quickly is like, obviously it's a testament to your skill. So congratulations. Cause that's amazing. That's a huge, you know, feat. Thank you. 
So one of the things that you 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 kind of popped on that was interesting to me, and and this is kind of a little bit in the in the writing side of things, is you know this this final draft page rewrite thing is kind of an interesting. Weirdly, it's like a little pro tip, right, from somebody who's uh, sold screenplays, option screenplays, developed projects, has been in the business and pushing it. I mean that. I haven't heard of that. Like I would have never considered that. I, I learned Final Draft by writing the three worst screenplays that anyone would ever or never read rather. So, I mean, <laughs> what gave you the idea to do that? Where'd that come from? Um, actually, I have to say my mom. My mom gave me the idea because I was like, I was like, how do you do it? Like, how do you use Final Draft? She's like, just copy a screenplay that already exists and figure it out. And so I decided when Harry met Sally, cause I feel like it's a pretty perfect screenplay and, um, that's totally my genre is I love, you know, I love comedy and, and that's, that's just what I did. Everything I've done pretty much I've, I've taught myself. I mean, I, 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 I was a photographer at, at one point. I taught myself how to use my Nikon. I've, I've, I used to DJ weddings. I, never took a DJ class ever. I just figured out how to use a new mark. For me, I'm just a lot more of a, a trial and error person and just figure it out along the way. I will tell you, my first draft of my screenplay was probably the, although it was, some would say it was good. Now I read it and I go, oh my God, it's all over the place. Structurally. <laughs> right. But formatly, totally. it was pretty good because final draft is like a godsend to any writer. <laughs> No, I'm totally with you. I mean, and and I'm I'm not a super stickler for format uh, when it comes when someone sends us a script. Like if they're an early writer, I don't like smash them, but I do. Every time I get like a Celtics or however you say it, or one of the other screenwriting, or uh, the worst is MS Word, where they've used a template. I'm not rude, but I do advise them to find a student and get the student version if they can't afford the regular version. Uh, but they need to get final draft and and they need to pay for it because I'm an anti piracy person. So. But they, they have to have it. Exactly. Well, and honestly, I still do that. Like, there's times where I'm writing something and I'm not quite sure how to format it. Like, if I'm writing a scene that has music or if I'm writing a, um, you know, an action sequence or something that I'm not used to writing. And I'll just look up an old screenplay of, of um, you know, a movie that did it really well. And I'll see how it was, I'll, you know, I'll see how that person wrote it and I'll just copy the format, you know, because why try to reinvent the wheel if it's already been perfected? I was going to ask something that interested me. Um, you said you've been writing now for eight years and your first uh, screenplay is going into production. You know, I think a lot of people that are just starting off writing will, you know, kind of be baffled by those numbers because, um, you know, people will think oh, I need to write and somebody needs to go make my movie. Um, and often that's not the way, you know, you've, you've optioned what you said, three of your scripts and, and that's often how you get through as a writer is by optioning things. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the, the process of optioning and how you're able to survive as a writer and, you know, not necessarily have anything produced yet? Um, okay. Yeah. Well, here's the funny thing is my first screenplay that I wrote is actually not the one that's going into production. That one's kind of just sitting on a shelf right now. And I've actually decided that that's going to be one. That's like my baby. I'm going to direct that one. Um, and I'm just going to let it, I'm going to, I'm going to let that one sit. So until I am in the position to where I can direct it. Um, but the funny thing is, is people would just say, just keep writing, just keep writing. And really it is true because if I had just put all my eggs in that one basket in that one screenplay, I would still be chasing that one script. Whereas, you know, the movie that's actually going into production was one of my more recent films that I wrote. And, um, uh, it's a, because one thing I, I will say, and I'm, I'm kind of going off topic based on your question, but I'll, I'll circle back, is one thing I always did with all of my scripts was once I was done with a draft that I felt really um, proud of, I would host a table read and I would make it fun. Like I would run out a conference room. I would, I would, you know, I'd get all the scripts printed. I'd, I'd get all my actor friends. I'd assign them parts and I would invite other people in the industry that weren't actors, like writers, 
producers, directors, people who I genuinely wanted their honest feedback and I'd invite them to it. And, you know, I'd like buy a bunch of bagels and coffee. I'd make it like a whole thing. And I would do a, um, I'd host a big table read. And based on doing those, it generated a lot of excitement for my work. And it was so great to hear it out loud and made me go, oh, God, I need to change that. That drag or, oh, my God, this works. Everybody was laughing. But what it all... What it also did is it exposed me to where all of a sudden people started seeing me as a writer. And based on doing um, a table read of my first screenplay, a director friend of mine approached me about writing a screenplay with him. He had an idea, and it was um, a teen comedy, and my first screenplay uh, – my first couple screenplays were teen comedies. And he felt that – you know he's in his 50s and felt like – he couldn't quite deliver the voice and the tone of the story he had in mind. So he brought me on as a partner and based on me doing that table read and inviting him and him seeing my skills as a writer, he brought me on to write this project with him. And that's the film that's actually going into production. So it's funny how things kind of just circle, circle around, Um, you know, and in the meantime, like, what I what I've done to survive is honestly I feel like in the entertainment industry you do everything you can to survive like you know the the biggest death is is um the biggest death is having to get like a real job because you know then you basically sold your soul you know what I mean like (laughs) no totally that's it totally um so uh you know I I tried waiting tables I was fired from every waitressing job I ever did. So waiting tables was not in my cards. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, but I, I was actually, like, side note, I was actually a really good server, but I just always was the one that got caught. Like, I was, like, the girl that got caught, like, taking a sip of a mudslide, and then I got fired for alcohol abuse, which is crazy. Um, wait, wait, and- wait. Hold on. Because that alone, I mean, that, are you just putting this stuff into work? Because that's like like streamlined comedy for me. Like we're sitting here cracking up, trying not to laugh through the mics. No, I know. Tell me about it. I Do you know that I, I barely drink and I have been fired from two waitressing jobs from alcohol. And I don't know how I fall into these things. I'm just the one that like decides to try something and I'm the one that gets caught. And um, anyways, waiting tables was not in my cards. And then I, you know, I was a personal trainer for a little bit. I had a fitness business. Um, I, like I said, I DJed weddings. I was a photographer. You know, I'm just the ultimate independent contractor because I see where my career is going and I see where the end goal is. And, you know, Right now, it's just about doing what I can to pay the bills and keep food in my stomach and a roof over my head until my my dream takes over. Not totally. Luckily, it's starting to pay off. You know, I feel that it, this was the first year um, in my eight years where I've actually been paid as a writer for several. It was actually cool because not only are three of them option, but I actually got hired to do a couple of freelance writing jobs um, to be a script doctor on one. And then I got hired to write a tour for a, um, a concert that was touring the country. And, and so it was just, it was just, it was cool. Like this is the first year I was actually like, Oh yeah, no, I'm actually like, I can actually call myself a professional screenwriter. So I have a question on that. Uh, this is just, you know, it's a writer question, which I think, um, getting to ask you this stuff is fascinating for me because I, I have told you this before, but I, you know, I admire you because you've done, you've stuck it out and did it. And then you've, and you've, making that push, which I think is always really important. So I have like rituals as a writer. So I like to sit in the same seat. So right now it's like right outside of uh, our office building. It's this really crappy plastic seat. Um, I just sit out there with a cup of coffee and then I have a fake cigarette, a vapor cigarette thing. Cause I don't smoke anymore. And I just sit there and smoke or uh, vape and, and do my two hours of writing every morning. That's just a process for me. Do you uh-huh. have any kind of ritual like that? Do you follow any sort of ritualistic writer superstitions or anything? Um, you know what I do? I, I, I write much better when I'm out of the house. I, you know, if I stay in, I, I find a million things to do to not write, you know, all of a sudden the laundry needs to be done or, you know, something needs to be cooked or something needs to be fixed or whatever. So, you know, I get my best writing done 
when I'm out and I, and I, I like to make it like a thing. Like I, like, like I said, I like to make everything like an event. So it's like, you know, I'll go to a cafe and I'll get breakfast and, and coffee and, and make it like a thing. Like I, and I, and I do actually schedule it in my day. Like I schedule it like as if I, um, I'm actually getting paid, you know, and actually my husband said this to me and I thought this was really good advice was, you know, there was a time where I just felt like I was writing and it, there was no point and I wasn't getting paid. And I was like, what the hell am I doing all this for? And he was like, you know what, just pretend every hour you're writing, you're clocking in, you know, you're getting paid $15 an hour. And eventually when you do sell a screenplay, it will probably have amounted to that all the hours. No, it's, that's brilliant advice. I mean, that is precisely kind of that's brilliant advice because it, it, it is there is a hopelessness that comes with writing sometimes when you work on something and nothing transpires from it and you hit that kind of wall so at least if you're clocking in you, you're giving your plus you're also forcing yourself to have some sort of obligation which i think is important as a writer if you're if if you're just writing it for you i think you miss sometimes the challenge of i'm writing this to present a product because you are making a product at the end of the day it's an art product but it is a product Totally. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I've just like, I, I have a couple different cafes over LA that I, I have found that I, I detest, you know, I'm not a fan of writing at a Starbucks or a coffee bean or anything like that. You know, you know, nothing against Starbucks or coffee bean or whatever, but I hate feeling like people are hovering over you. You know, I love to find these cafes that nobody goes to that happen to have Wi-Fi, and I can just sit there for hours. I mean, before I had my child, I mean, there were days where I'd sit at the same restaurant and be there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and, and just be there from seven to seven. And and the waiters didn't mind because I would keep ordering food because um, I love to eat. But uh, <laughs> um, that's you know that's one thing I always do. And another thing I always do is I do try to give myself deadlines because I find that if I don't have if I don't have someone like to keep me accountable or someone waiting for something, then I feel like I can just you know take my foot off the gas a little bit. So that's super 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 clever too. Doing little things like, you know, uh, like for example, there's a script doctor that, um, his name is Andrew Hilton and he has a, a, a website called the screenplay mechanic. He's awesome. Like I'll schedule an appointment with him cause you know, he's usually booked up months in advance and I'll have, he'll have a, a schedule on the date to read my screenplay on August 9th. So guess what? I have to have my screenplay done by August 9th or else I'm going to have nothing to hand into him or, That's super clever you know, I'll, um, schedule a table read and I have all these people coming and I better get it done. Or I, you know, I do still sign up for that, that first writing class I took. I still go to that writer's group now. Um, whenever I start a new project, I go, cause I find, I find once I finish the drop, the first draft, I can do rewrites on my own, but getting, banging out that first draft to me is the hardest part. And so it's nice. Um, having that writer's group because I pay for it and you know it forces you to go I better get this done because I don't want to waste my money and and I'm going to show up to class and I'm going to have no pages so it just forces me to bang it out I work really well with deadlines yeah well I had another question because we're talking about your your writing um and how much you write every day and what you hold yourself accountable to and, and often you uh, you know hear advice about reading as well. Do you do you find yourself um, where you read scripts or you set goals to read this many scripts? Or let's say you have a project coming up and it's of a certain genre, you find scripts in that genre to read, or do you just kind of go off your own work? Great question. You know what? Um, unfortunately, I do not read as much as I would like to. I I. I... I always have, I, I'm like the queen of starting a book and never finishing it. Um, but I, what I do do is when I'm going to write a project, if I have something in mind is I watch a bunch of films of that genre that like, let's say I want it to have, you know, like I just wrote a film for, I actually had a writing assignment and I had to write a teen comedy musical set in New York with a competition. So I watched, I watched Chorus Line. I watched, um, you know, I watched Pitch Perfect. I watched Bring It On. I watched, 
Um, girls just want to have fun. I just watched a bunch of different things that have the tone that I wanted to go by um, just to get an idea. And then what I did was I found the actual screenplays of them. And like I said, I just looked at the format and like, you know, I'll take a little from one, I'll take a little from other, um, you know, and I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not plagiarizing, but like, I'll just take tones and, and formats and transitions and get ideas like, Oh, I like how they use that as a way to open the film. Maybe if I did that, but in this setting with this character, you know, like I like to kind of just take a bunch of different works and kind of make a big hodgepodge of my own creation, if that makes sense. Oh, it totally does. And it's one of the things that, um, you know, I mean, you, you, to me, I find it completely intimidating that you found your voice for uh, and a gift for musicals and teen comedies and comedy in general. I understand uh, it's broader than that, but but you know you've sold those kind of products. And you know, like I write science fiction, so like my brain instantly goes to sci-fi. It's very easy for me. I don't think twice about it. So like, how do you? I mean, how did you find your voice in that space? I mean, is it, was it just a natural interest, or did you find that? It was something you kind of steered yourself to after you started seeing reception from that, from, from, you know, studios or producers or whoever. Um, you know what? Honestly, every screenplay I've written has been somewhat autobiographical in like, not necessarily all about me, but it, I, I've never written just a false story, like just a story that came up from my mind. Honestly, the, the most fictional story I've written was this one that is going into production that I co-wrote with my friend um, uh, Gabe Torres but that was because it was his concept his idea anything I've written myself has been inspired by either a person in my life or a situation in my life and um, you know my life has a lot of comedy and a lot of music in it and I think that just transpires not, I mean, it just comes naturally to me. It's funny. You talk about science fiction. And to me, I go, oh, I don't even know where to go from that because that's just not how my mind is wired. But, my, you know, my life is always some sort of – I always joke around with my husband or my mom or friends. I'm like, I feel like sometimes I, my life is a sitcom or my life is a musical because things just happen that you cannot even make up. And I love to just take stuff from I, – I, I'm – like my husband always gets annoyed. He's like, you don't forget anything. And I'm like, no, I don't forget anything. <laughs> so literally I like, I will, I have a little thing in my phone where like I'll write things down. Like, like I'll hear someone say something that I think is hilarious or, or a situation will happen. And I'll just, I'll keep it in my phone just to remind myself if I ever need to. Um, but yeah, most of the stuff I've written has come from some sort of truth. Oh, and you also talked um, about your mom. Uh, sorry, we have apparently we've got gremlins upstairs. We, uh, you talked about your mom. She's a strong influence. Um, and also just the, the voice of a woman. Are there issues that you're finding being a woman writer? And, it, you know, the, this industry is notoriously um, very misogynistic. Have you have you personally run into that? Do you have, you know, any any thoughts or advice for women that want to be a producer or writer in this industry? You know what? I'm, I'm, I don't know. Some women might get mad at this, but I kind of, I kind of like it. Like, it's not, not that I don't, I don't like the misogyny and I don't like how, you know, like 90% of a writer's room is men. But for me, I think because I was an actress and I was in a field where like, I think it was one of the reasons I didn't work as much is I was a blonde Caucasian 20 something actress. I was in a comp, I was in a pool of so many girls that we were, you know, in, in the industry's eyes, we were all in the same category, you know, even though I'm, I'm unique and every girl is unique and everybody's unique, you know, it, as far as stereotypes and as far as the categories that you get placed into, I was in the most competitive category. So for me, I actually kind of like being a young 
woman writer in a field where there aren't as many of me, you know, because I feel like it gives me an edge. It gives me a competitive edge. Um, you know, I have not worked in a writer's room and I have not been in the situation where I've lost out on parts to men yet. But for me, I don't know. I always like to look at it kind of like a sport and, and if there's not as much competition, then it gives me, it gives, I don't know. I feel like it makes me stand out more. No, I mean, it gives you, it gives you the competitive advantage. I could see that point of view, certainly. Yeah. And also like, I feel like nowadays too, this is becoming a thing. Like people are wanting more female voices. They're wanting more women writers. They're wanting more diversity. So I feel like I'm finally in a um, category where there's a supply and demand and, and, you know, I'm, not 70, I'm not a 70 year old white Jewish comedian, you know, where it's like, yeah, we have a million of you. Like I finally feel like, Ooh, like when, when I personally, one of the biggest compliments to me is when people meet me and then they go, you're a writer. Like, like I, I had an interview with this guy. I won't name him cause I didn't have, I did not have the best experience with him, but I met, I, I was, like I said, I, I was hired for this, um, uh, I was, I, I got a writing job that did not end up transpiring into money. Lesson learned, always sign a contract first, but I got assigned to this job, very big Hollywood producer, uh, Middle Eastern. And the first thing I walked in, I walked into the room and I was, you know, I don't want to say I was dressed sexy. I was wearing, you know, I was like wearing like, like coral pants and heels and just like a white professional shirt and the first thing I walked in he goes you are the writer and I was like yeah he goes you are too pretty to be a writer you're not the writer and I was like "Mm, don't know quite what that means but thank you uh and he's like that's the awkward of awkward kind of uh scuttlebutt out of the room moments yeah exactly like the fact that someone said to me like you're the writer you're too pretty to be a writer I was kind of like and this is why there's misogyny in Hollywood. Thank you very much. But for me, I kind of was like, okay, all right. Like, I kind of took that as fuel, like, ha-ha. Like, you think that? Let me let me show you something else. Like, I don't know. I I I don't get I don't get discouraged or victimized by stuff like that. I kind of try to find the the competitive edge from it. Awesome. You know, uh, we spoke to uh, an actor named Jalen Moore, and uh, <laughs> Jalen may know. Yeah, Jalen uh, gave us a great quote, and he said, "You know, I, this you guys want to keep it raw, and so you know we've gone with his his advice, so we keep it raw on the show and kind of go that route." So uh, I put a pause in here, so you can literally say no, and it's and it won't be in the podcast; it'll be cut out. But um, I was kind of wondering, like, you know, obviously you're a mother, right? Mm-hmm. You're very career driven, yeah, and at least from my experience, having a child was a little bit of a, whoa, wake up call, what the F moment kind of in a good way. But it also like it, it made me consider my career in a different light. Um, certainly the moment we found out to where we are now with, uh, you know, another crazy kid on the way. I, I just was wondering if you if you wanted to talk about that all, because like wh- what was the day like when you found out you were pregnant? Because it's it's a it's a big turn. Right. I mean, it's a big challenge. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um Yeah, I'll be honest, you know, like when I first found out I was pregnant, it was not, uh, it was not like tears of joy. Um, like I always thought it would be because I'm, I'm a planner. Okay. And my plan always, like people would always say like, when are you husband, when are you and your husband planning on having kids? And I would say like, once I have a creative baby, I have to have a creative baby first. And, you know, cause I always envisioned me selling one of my screenplays, having it produced, having, you know, it be successful, us being able to buy a house, all of that first, then family. And so when I found out I was pregnant, I was shocked. You know, I was really, um, I, it was not in the plan at the time. Um, it was always in the plan. I've always wanted to be a mother and I always wanted to have a family. So that wasn't a, um, an upset, but it was just shocking as far as the timing of it. And my, at first, one of my fears when I found out I was pregnant was I thought it was going to stop everything. You know, in my experience, um, 
or not in my experience, but what I had witnessed growing up is so many women putting their lives on hold and their careers on hold to be moms and to have a kid. And so I felt at some point like, oh my God, all the stuff, everything I've worked for, I'm, is going to be frozen for years. And, and maybe, you know, when I'm in my forties, I can pursue my career, you know, and, and thank God I have a career coach. Her name is Barbara Deutsch. She's amazing. Um, she's like my, my career guru. Um, you know, I spoke to her about it and she's like, I don't know where you think that that's actually a rule, you know, and I, I spoke with a lot. I just tried to surround myself with women who were doing it all and who were mothers and pursuing their careers. And just to try to get myself in a, in a really, um, uh, you know, positive mindset. And, you know, the second I made that shift, it was funny before we even knew she was a girl, we started calling her the magic peanut when she was in my stomach because all of a sudden, you know, um, someone once said this to me, she's like, you know, Brittany, you're, ex you're literally expanding, like your body is about to expand. So that means your entire life is about to expand too. And like, you're allowing more abundance in your life by allowing more love into your life. And so like, just having that mindset was like it shifted everything for me. And then all of a sudden my husband, who's an actor, Mr. Jamin Moore, um, started booking nonstop. Like literally was like booking, 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 film, TV, film, TV. And then like all of a sudden people, like producers were wanting to read my screenplays. And like literally since she's been born, I my screenplays got optioned after she was born. Like she was born and then screen, three of my screenplays got optioned. And I think it's true is, you know, my life expanded, my heart expanded. And as a result, I think all of the, um, the exterior is expanding around me. You know, the, the, I don't know, some people are, aren't spiritual, but I am spiritual in the sense where I do feel like the universe there's a quote that I love that says, at the moment of commitment, the universe conspires to assist you. And I made a commitment. I'm going to have a child. I'm going to be a mother. And as a result, the universe has assisted me in providing opportunities for me in my career. So, yeah. No, no. I mean, it's funny because it's, it's good to hear because it, it helps me on a personal level, right? You know, so... Um... Sarah would argue that the universe conspired against her. That's my wife. <laughs> when we found out we were having our second child, because we we were prepped for one, we were ready for it. We had tried before and, and and had a miscarriage and such. So like the second one, although a surprise, or the first one rather, although a surprise was a blessing, the second one was completely out of the blue. So we were like, oh shit, you know, it was one of those like, and you don't want to ever say that. People don't ever tell you that sometimes being a parent forces you when you get into the space where the realistic side is you're going to have an emotional response to it. Right. So it's good to hear. I'm, I'm, I'm cause I mean, I, like I said, I look up to you guys and I've said it uh, multiple times. I mean, I look up to you guys as a family. Um, you know, you have one of the cutest kids I've ever held in my entire life. If I do go on record often describing your child as being the cutest kid I've ever held. So, um, oh, oh. well, no, that's your child is adorable. No, it always makes it fun. So, you know, it's kind of, Flowing into that space of of uh, landing in that, we kind of have a tradition on this show, and we've reached that point where at the 41-minute mark, we like to ask a relatively random question, and you just got to go with the first thing that comes to your mind. So the question that we like to do at the 41 is, uh, this one is going to be, what is your favorite musical moment from a film? Oh. Um... You can't think. You just have to answer. No thinking. I'd say the opening of all that jazz in Chicago when uh, the when Captain Zeta Jones whips her heads around and says, "Come on, babe, why don't we paint the town?" <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, I mean, like for me, it's uh, singing in the rain only because my daughter sings it all the time now. She's obsessed with it, so I'm. Waiting. I love singing in the rain too. Okay. So do you have anything you might want to touch on? Do you have any advice? I mean, first off, for a pro series podcast, your um your there's so many pro tips that have come out of your mouth are insane. Like one day I I'm sure I'll take a class from you because it's just been tremendously effective. But is there anything else you kind of wanted to touch on to, just to put it out there and I mean, 
ideally the show reaches everybody, reaches uh, key grips and grips to uh, screenwriters, to aspiring screenwriters, to directors, producers, anybody across the board. I mean, is there anything from your perspective that would be beneficial for them to hear? Because you definitely have a unique story and you come from a very, you know, dynamic background. Um, you know what? I think my my whole lesson, I'm still learning this. So I'm giving this advice and kind of taking it at the same time is be open to the journey, you know, just keep, don't shut a door, you know, for my, my, my career coach, she calls me the reluctant writer for years. I was saying, but I just want to act. Like, I don't want to be a writer. I just want to be an actress, but, but writing jobs kept falling in or not jobs, but writing opportunities kept falling in my lap. I, I, I started noticing the voice I had as a writer and the respect I got as a writer was not the same I got as an actress. Even still today, I'll go on an audition. It's so interesting now. Like, I'll go on an audition and people will be like, um, you? Yeah. Yeah. Can you just stand over there? Um, okay. Hold on. You know, like, and like treated like a, it's, it's like an inconvenience. Whereas, you know, as a writer, I've been able to sit in rooms with some pretty, substantial producers and and directors and go toe to toe with them and they value my opinion and they value my insight and 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 where i stand as a writer i like who that person is better and i feel like if i had just been so closed and full of ego saying no well i just want to be an actress i don't want to do this meh, meh, meh. i would be i would be losing out on all these wonderful experiences and, and the funny thing is, is I really feel like my career is meant to be, I'm meant to be a writer. And guess what? Once I am a Tina Fey or once I am a John Hughes or an Amy Heckerling or one of the greats, I can act in whatever the hell I want. You know what I mean? I can write myself apart and I can put it in because guess what? I wrote it, you know, and, and, and I'm seeing that this is my path and, and, and now it's funny. I'm. I keep all those people I, I referenced or people I look up to, they're all writer directors. And so that's why I'm kind of going, Hmm, maybe I should be open and start looking into directing. So I'm going to direct my first short film this year. I already wrote it. I, I, I just need to get the um, production stuff together, but I think I'm going to shoot it in March um, just to see if I do have a knack for it. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I think just being open to the journey and, you know, the entertainment industry is brutal and I think if you can have success in one aspect of it you can have success in every aspect of it I mean look at Justin Timberlake he became he was famous from being in a boy band and now he's like like he can do anything like he's hosting SNL every single second and he's doing drama he's acting he has a perfume line or you know like I feel like that's the hardest part is just being successful in one aspect of the industry and once you're successful in one aspect of the industry it's all about building relationships because if you you know for me if I become a really successful writer and and everybody knows me as a writer guess what I'm going to be on set working with directors and actors and people who are going to want to work with me and and that can transpire into other things and so um you know, my best advice is just be open to the journey and and just continue to create. Yeah, that's perfect. And what what better way to kind of uh, close it out uh, than doing that? Now, I'm going to take your advice and uh, I'm going to start building my almost resume. And I was hoping um, that you would be an almost reference on my almost resume. Oh my God, I would love to be an almost reference. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for today. It really, it's great to hear your story. And, you know, ec you know, you're echoing a lot of the things we hear a lot of the successful people say. Um, and it, it's really good to see, you know, the, the same kind of through lines that um, the really successful people say. So, you know, I, I look forward to interviewing you again in a year after you've, you know, produced uh, your next movie and maybe you've directed your first feature. And, uh, you know, then I will love to have you as a reference on my almost resume. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I mean, one thing I, I, I don't lose sight of is my vision and what I want for my life. And, you know, I do love, you know, as hippy dippy as they sound, I do make a vision board every year. I have quotes. I, I, I constantly 
look like my husband and I, we do this thing like once a month, we have a theme of the month, you know, just little things like that. It's really hard to stay motivated and it's really hard to stay positive when everybody is saying no to you or everybody is taking forever to read something or to get something done or you don't have the funding or you don't do this. Um, you know, the, but one thing that I, I will say um, to close it out is as far as the entertainment industry, I think we see a lot of these overnight successes. And I think it's brilliant that you guys are doing this podcast because I think it's very real what a lot of people go through. You know, a lot of people go, oh, they were an overnight success. And you're like, ah, actually, that person was working their butt off for 10 years before they got their big break. Um, uh, but one thing I, that always helps my mindset is – if I were to be a success in any industry, if I were to be a doctor, I would have to go to medical school and I would have to go to grad school and then I'd have to get a residency and then I would probably work at a practice and then eventually I would get my own practice. And who says it's going to be successful practice? You know, maybe – so like if I were to be any sort of career – it would take a really long road to get there. But I think because it's the entertainment industry and it's a lot of it is self-generated, sometimes we lose sight of that. And um, uh, yeah, that's just something I, I kind of use as a metaphor to keep me sane. <laughs> wow, that was, uh, that was actually a really, really insightful you know, every time we interview somebody, uh, it always is. But that one, that one from a writing standpoint, because we're both yeah. kind of in the writing phase right now is really uh, it kind of drills a lot of um, points home for me personally. And then even on the family side, like talking about being a mother and going through that, going through, you know, where I currently am. So great interview. Always, always a pleasure. Yeah, What I'm noticing also the, the through lines, right? You know, this is between the line and a lot of our friends, a lot of our comrades, our family are, you know, on that cusp, you know, as she said, she's got something going into production. She, she's got, um, a few things optioned. Um, but you know, she's been doing this for eight years and she has been, you know, going at it and she's been, it's, and it's that through line of this is a business, right? Yep. And you don't just walk in the door and suddenly you're amazing. You, you work, you improve yourself, you, you do all the things that you do in any sort of business. And if you keep at it, eventually, you know, it pays off and you just, you know, I'm just, I just keep hearing that. And that's actually very encouraging for me. You know, on one hand, it's scary. It's like, you know, wow, it took her, you know, eight years to get to this point, but also, you know, it's encouraging. It's like, you just keep going. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I learned something, uh, which I will use forever, which is the almost resume. I think that's my <laughs> new, I think that's one of the greatest things I've ever heard. And, and it makes for a very funny, uh, idea of having an almost resume, but you all also could kind of take that and maybe motivate yourself with it. It's like, you almost got this. So do you want that? Yeah. So maybe that was the universe saying, Hey, maybe, maybe there's a different angle for you to go down and maybe there's a, you know, d a different way to see this uh, situation you found yourself in. So I don't know. It's, it's another, as you said, it's proof positive. There's a through line, there's an emerging thread story thread that's constant throughout every interview we've done, which is just working hard uh, does a lot of it. Luck has something to do with it, but, but being prepared. But being prepared is what the big piece is. Yeah, everyone's humble and prepared. And uh, on the business side of uh, things, we've heard the uh, the thing that we hear a lot: contract. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, contract, contract, contract. Yeah, and and it's always that same story of, you know, that one time they got burned and they learned, you know, do contracts and. You know, you, probably you're thinking to yourself, oh, yeah, well, when I, you know, when I'm ready for that, I'll start paying for a lawyer to do contracts and then you're going to get burned and you realize. Right. It's one of those things like nobody calls a doctor unless they need to go see the doctor. But go ahead and have your contracts set up and go forward. So with that said, set your goals, stay frosty and cut. Thank you for listening to the Mobcast Network.